Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Broadway Babies. I'm Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. Our guest today is the fantastic Joe Iconis. Welcome to Broadway Babies, Joe. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your journey into the arts? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. So I'm, um, I'm from Long Island originally, uh, which is a land that is uh, very near to New York City. And I'm from the suburbs. I have a big Italian family. My mom's side of the family was from Brooklyn. My dad's side is from Queens. And so I grew up going into New York City quite a bit. Like New York City never felt like the big bad city to me. You know, it always just kind of felt like, it felt like home to me. Um, and no one in my family is in the arts or in entertainment in any, 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 any way. Uh, and no one is, no one in my family was like particularly like arts forward, you know, like my, um, I have an aunt who, who was, who was into theater and, and film and stuff, but that's like pretty much it. You know, people would like go to see a, a, a play a year or, or, you know, they would go to like Radio City Music Hall and that would be kind of like the the live performance component in, in the lives of most of my family members. Um, and for me, I really loved the movie Little Shop of Horrors when I was a kid. I was like, I was probably, I guess I was five when that movie came out. And when that movie came out, the original production was, was still playing at the Orpheum Theater uh, Off-Broadway and I saw a commercial for the original production and I was like, oh, a Little Shop of Horrors, that movie I like, I want to go see that live on stage. And so for my sixth birthday, my dad took me to see the original production of Little Shop uh, and it was September 27th, 1987. And it truly gave me like an immediate love of the form of musical theater. Like it was the most like TV movie of the week. <laughs> like, you know, cheesy version of that story where I like sat there with my mind blown at this thing I was seeing. And I think because I was like familiar with the material going in, I was able to like really, really comprehend like, oh, wait a minute, that that thing that I responded to was a movie. And this is something that's that's alive and different. And it's, I, I, it was the thing that I took away was like, I mean, I did love Little Shop of Horrors, but like it was the experience of seeing a musical in a theater. I just immediately was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is my favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, and it was, and that was kind of, you know, that was kind of how I got into to art in general. Yeah, so um, we, we are big fans of Little Shop of Horrors. We actually talk about it quite a lot on the show, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, sh you should, you should. Right? Yeah, right? Uh, tell us then a little bit about um, when you started to actually transition to doing musical theater. Did you do it in school? Did you go to uh, university for it? What was your kind of journey there? Um, yeah, so uh, so basically what happened was I fell in love with Little Shop. That turned into me, you know, going to see musicals constantly. Uh, and so it was the kind of thing where, like, for every birthday or holiday, my gift was always going to see a show, going to see a musical. And so I developed this this true love of musical theater at a really young age. And the more I got into it, the more... I was like reading about it, you know, and I, I mean, for years and years and years at like my local library, 
I would be like the only person ever to take out like all the theater books, you know, like it's like, or like the, like the film versions of like, you know, Sweeney Todd or Into the Woods. Like it was just me for like 20 years. <laughs> that was the only one in Garden City, Long Island who gave a shit about any of this stuff. And so uh, I was really obsessed with it. Um, so that was kind of happening in, in, in one, one area. Uh, in the other area, I was taking piano lessons and I was taking piano lessons because my family had a piano and it was the piano that when my grandparents moved from Brooklyn to Long Island in the 60s, they like bought a piano because, you know, they're like Italians. And they're like, oh, this is what you do. You have like a nice house and you have a piano and then people will maybe one day play the piano. And so they like my grandparents had this piano that literally was just like a piece of furniture. Like it was a place where they put like pictures of relatives and stuff. And so then, uh, you know, my mom uh, had me and, and then, you know, moved to her own house. And my grandparents were like, here, take the piano. So this piece of furniture got passed on to my mom. And then because my mom had the piano, uh, she, you know, she forced me to take piano lessons. So I had no like innate musical talent. I, there was nothing, there was nothing about me taking piano that was like magical in any way. There was no like, Oh, this boy is blessed with music. I was just kind of <laughs> taking it and it wasn't like, it wasn't a thing. And then, um, and, and so I took it for a couple of years, just, you know, sort of begrudgingly. And then the more I got into theater, the more I started playing by ear and I would like go to see a show and then I would come home and I would pick out melodies that I heard on the piano. And I started getting really good at improvising and making up my own stuff and started becoming a really good piano player through that, through like playing what I loved. Uh, and so then by the time I was in like middle school, I was like a little like piano prodigy, but I, I was not interested in classical music at all. I only wanted to do like show tunes. I only wanted to play like theater music. Uh, and my, you know, my family, as I said, like they're so supportive, so amazing. However, could not be like further removed from the world of entertainment or art. And so no one really knew what to do with me. And I, uh, and, and also what was happening was I, I would, I was participating in theater in the ways that I could, you know, sort of in the suburbs of Long Island. So I would do like, you know, school, school shows and community theater shows. And I started by being in the shows because that's the only way you can really participate in theater when you're like, you know, 10. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was terrible. I was so bad. I was such an awful performer and I knew it. I felt it. And it was like terrifying to me. I was so scared to be on a stage and to, you know, have to say a line. It was just, I was just, I was completely, completely horrified. Uh, however, I loved doing it still, you know, I was like totally terrified, but just loved being in the environment of the, of the theater. And then as soon as I realized there were people who wrote the shows, uh, as soon as I realized, oh, this is a thing that people do, they write musicals, that's what I wanted to do. And it was as early as, as like 12 years old, I would say, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a Broadway composer. <laughs> That's what wow. I would say. You know, and so, and so it was a, like a, a job that I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I had no idea how to do it. My family didn't know anyone who, you know, could help me in any way. And so I figured I should be in the city. Uh, and, you know, and because I have this like close-knit Italian family, the idea of like going to school any place that was not, you know, like 40 minutes away from where, I, I was born was like not a thing. Um, and so and so I went to NYU for undergrad. And that's the first place that I really kind of like studied composition and 
and uh, and and proper musical theater writing. You know, I was writing songs and I was writing like like tunes. Uh, and whenever I would write in high school, the idea was always that that um, there were four like musical versions of movies that I liked. You know, I was always writing in a theatrical context, even if it was just the tunes. I didn't really do lyrics. Uh, and so then when I got to NYU for undergrad, that was the first time I was really ever writing lyrics. And I only started writing lyrics because I, uh, I was working with this private composition teacher, Steve Rosenhaus, who taught me like the nuts and bolts, like the basics of, of musical theater songwriting. And he said, you know, okay, you write music, but you gotta write lyrics. And so, or you gotta have lyrics. And so uh, you have two choices. You can either write the lyrics yourself or you can find a lyricist, find a collaborator. And at the time, uh, in college, I was like a very, very different man. I was like super shy. I was not uh, comfortable, definitely not in my own skin, but not comfortable in like social situations. And truly the thought of like having to find someone to write lyrics for me, having to collaborate with someone was so like terrifying to me. I was just like, that sounds like I'm gonna have to like, uh, have, have to be really open and have to be really vulnerable and like, be you know truthful and brave and like I don't want to do any of that so I'm just gonna write the lyrics myself and so I started <laughs> writing lyrics like out of sheer uh, out of sheer terror uh, and then by the time I got to the end of my undergrad at NYU the lyrics were like just as important as the music to me yeah that was a long answer no I love it we love that though you know oh, yeah. I mean <laughs> it says on Wikipedia that you went to NYU so <laughs> confirmed we're yeah. confirmed but you know no we love we love that the talk away we love it um i have so many things on my list that i want to talk to you about joe but i'm gonna start with the thing that was my first introduction to you and i don't know if you remember the first time we emailed with each other i sent you a message yeah and I sent yeah, you a message a and I was like I sing Velociraptor <laughs> and it's like my favorite thing ever to perform and it's in all I've done it in probably like four or five cabarets now and it's like consistently the one thing that people will tell me is their favorite thing that I do because there are very few things in a cabaret setting where you can go full Velociraptor I don't know anything about the origin of that song or how it came to be or how you wrote it, if you wrote it for a show. I know absolutely nothing about it. So I would love to know about that song in particular. Yeah. I hope I hope knowing about it doesn't like ruin it for you, but well I mean we'll see. Good. Uh, so that so so I mean I should say that I write I write a ton of songs that are just standalone songs. You know, I have I have countless tunes that that sort of I, I think of them as like short stories, you know, and 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 are that are supposed to function just in and of them themselves. Uh, and so, you know, I have a lot of songs too that are like very thematically linked. I tend to write about about people or creatures who feel uh, who feel othered who feel like misfits in some way like they don't quite fit into whatever situation they're in um uh which is just to say that sometimes people think that these, some of these songs are connected but they're they're not other than i just you know write about the same themes a lot uh but velociraptor specifically uh i wrote for uh my great friend and great collaborator liz lark brown who's an amazing performer and uh and i wrote her this song and she uh she's like lizard brown is 
uh, like everyone I work with, really specific, very strange, uh, and has, you know, this like gorgeous voice and is very funny. Uh, but in, in my world, she was singing a lot of songs that were like super sad and super like kind of drag ass. You know, and so she, we were talking about, we, we, were, we were talking, the, talking about uh, this concert that was coming up, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write you a new song, Liz. Like we're gonna, we're gonna get you something good. And she was like, Okay, cool, but I just don't, don't do anything that's like, that's about me, like talking about feeling sad or feeling, or feeling like I don't belong, like just like anything that's not that. And so I started, I started writing this song, and it of course was like literally that. You know, like it was just. <laughs> It was just about that. Like it was a hundred percent that. Um, but I, I wanted to write. So like, so Velociraptor. I, uh, I have a lot of, I have a lot of songs that come out of like. I feel like my songs a lot of times are like various inspirations, that are sort of floating in the air and then kind of find each other. And so I, I write a lot from like a hook. You know, I'll think of a line and then and then uh, and then a song sometimes will like bloom around it. Like you know, I had the. I had the idea of, you know, uh, having a song where the hook was Broadway, here I come, exclamation point, but the exclamation point was 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 uh, sarcastic for like, you know, years before I actually wrote that song. And Velociraptor was kind of the same way. I just had a, had a Word doc on my computer that said, uh, good title for a song, Velociraptor. And that was it. And so for <laughs> years, I was like, I have to find, I have to find the song that goes with the title Velociraptor. And then when I was writing the song for Liz, and I was like, oh, I kind of want to, you know, write a song that's, it's, I want it to be funny and I want it to feel kind of vicious. I don't want it to be like, a, oh, woe is me. I'm having like, you know, life trouble, dating trouble in New York City. And also at the time, there's like so many songs about being like, like young and dating in New York City and like, oh, what a challenge it is to be young and dating in New York City. And I just like hated those songs so much. So I want to try a song that was like that, but decidedly not that. And that's when I kind of was like, oh, maybe this is the Velociraptor song. And I feel like when I started, it was like, a, sometimes I feel like a velociraptor. And then the more I wrote it, it was like, no, this is just a velociraptor who is just in, in the city, who's just on the dating scene. And this velociraptor is like, why, you know, why do I, why do I feel so strange? Is it like, what is, what is up with me that people are reacting to me in this way? Not realizing that it's like, because she's a velociraptor and there's like nothing she can do about that, you know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so that's sort of where where the impetus for the song came from. And then, and I wanted the music to feel like a classic. Like I really wanted to feel like a like a '60s cabaret song. You know, like something that where like the hook like repeats so much, and it's just like so sort of gentle and like and sweet and kind of lovelorn. And then fill it with imagery that's like violent. And you know, the middle section was always the you know my 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 favorite my favorite thing that I stumbled on, where it's like oh, it's like words words run out you know people always talk about musical theater is like you know when you can't when you don't have the words to speak you have to sing which i think is like kind of a bullshit thing sometimes it sometimes yes and sometimes no but this was just like oh when you don't have the words to sing you just have to scream like a like a velociraptor <laughs> so that's really what it is it's like she's not <laughs> yeah you know just like click and scream and yell and like and just let your like inner velas come out uh because you know and in that song and i've, I've worked with a few people on that that tune and it's always like the idea there is just that that she's you know she's not worrying about fitting in. It's like she, as a velociraptor, without even knowing it, 
she's doing so many things to try and fit in. So many things that she doesn't, she's not even aware of. It's just been sort of programmed into her in a way that I think so many people, you know, do that. So many people behave in ways because it's the way that it's good. It's what's going to make them feel like not a freak in whatever room they're in. And so the Velociraptor is, is doing that without her even realizing it. And then in that moment, she's so upset that she just kind of like lets it out. You know, she's not using words. She's using the words that like feel correct to her for a moment. And then she has to pull it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love it so much. I love performing it. I love watching other people perform it. I spend a fair amount of time, you know, clicking around YouTube. <laughs> looking for stuff. So thank you for that song because it's... Yo, anytime. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. Velociraptor. That's one thing. I never talked about Velociraptor. That was a great question. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, I don't want to, you know, we don't need to spend like a lot of time breaking down exactly the kind of be more chill thing of how it began. It was Two Rivers Theater that it began at originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Two, two River. Yeah. Two River. Singular and, River. Yeah. You know, I, Singular River. I, th- <laughs> um, you know, and then, and then the licensing became a, the, the, the cast recording was, uh, kind of went a, a bit viral I guess we'll we'll mm-hmm. call it yeah, <laughs> and, yeah uh, and then the licensing was available for like schools and community theaters which then led to correct me if I'm wrong doing the off-broadway production um, that kind of the sequence of events okay kind of the sequence yeah the off-broadway production I was able to get a producer interested uh because of the viral nature of the set the the cast album and that producer also happened to be a college professor whose college was doing Be More Chill. So it was sort of like a one-two punch where he like saw how kids were reacting uh, in addition to like the, the crazy ass numbers that were associated with our album. I remember being in New York and trying to get tickets to that off-Broadway run, which was completely impossible, which it was terrible for me, but so awesome for you and for the show. And I remember seeing the video of um, announcing to the cast that, that the show was transferring uptown and that is like one of the most joyous videos to exist on YouTube. I, I love, I love it. I love watching stuff like that happen, you know? It was, yeah, it was, that was the, that was the, that was the greatest. Like that, my favorite time in the life of Be More Chill was like from when, from that moment, like when we closed, or actually I should say it was so thrilling closing that show off Broadway, knowing we were going to Broadway. Like that's just something I've never, I've, I've never I've never been able to close a show knowing that it's gonna happen again. Every time I've ever closed a show, it's really felt like, well, this is the nail in the coffin, cool. Like it's always been terrible, but that was like the only time it's ever happened. And then the fact that it was Broadway was so cool, but that, you know, it, that, the, the, the jump from off Broadway to Broadway was actually more like miraculous to me than the than the, the thing happening at all. Like the jump from off Broadway to Broadway, just because it it so broke the rules of like how you're supposed to get to Broadway for a show like ours. Um, and and I and when we opened off Broadway, even though our you know our ticket sales were nuts for like an off Broadway, I mean for any show, uh, when we opened because our times review sucked again. And everything was like on that times review or it was like, oh, if it's good, I bet people are going to be interested in, in moving this. And then it was so bad that it was like, oh, I guess this is done again. And then the fact that we like came back from that really made me feel like, oh, shit, this is, you know, any like <laughs> it's so cheesy, but like it made me feel like anything is possible. Like it really did. It felt like, oh, this is like a real miracle because I as someone who's been like following 
the Broadway seasons from the time he was literally eight years old and knows like exactly how shows get to where they go and all the things they need. Like Be More Chill had none of that. And the fact that we got to Broadway and got to Broadway like, you know, with the cast who did it off Broadway and so many of those people were making their de debuts and so many of those people are people I've been working with for, you know, five, 10, 15 years. It was just the, it felt like a miracle. And it's like, it's giving me hope, which is so weird because it's like something that I wrote, but it's like the, the fact that it got to where it got had nothing to do with me. So, yeah. 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 But I think it, I think, you know, it doesn't just give, it doesn't just give you hope. It, it gives me hope. Maybe it gives Stephanie hope, you know, that it's not the sort of, oh, this is the normal and it always has to be this way. And this is, you know, how things happen and how performers get to make their Broadway debut and how shows get to Broadway. Um, I yeah. think that yeah. this, the story of your show is very magical. Um, your, the video of you announcing the closing is heartbreaking as is your closing night announcement and performance. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I want to cry every time I, I watch it because you are so, um, you so, you're so open and expressive. And I think that a lot of people aren't that way. And I loved that you went out on stage and announced it in that way that the show was closing you know, as opposed to it, like showing up in our email box from Broadway World or whatever. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, and it was like that. You know, that was that was uh, that was just such a beyond challenging time because I was also I I had another show, Broadway Bounty Hunter, that was going to open off Broadway. Um, you know, like weeks it, we were in rehearsal when we announced Be More Chill closing. We were in rehearsal for Broadway Bounty Hunter. Uh, and that show ended up playing a very short run and, and closing. It was it was a really tough time. And initially, when we when I like you know when we said okay we're gonna do Broadway Bounty Hunter this summer, you know it was like a, a year or two in the making. And then it was it was decided okay we're gonna do it in the time from like B. Marshall closing off Broadway to opening on Broadway. And it was this thing where it was like this is nuts. This is so crazy to attempt this. But if B. Marshall is like a, a this like massive hit this is going to be like a victory lap. Like this is going to be like so badass that we have this, this other show running. Then it was like, if Be More Chill is like not a massive hit immediately, like this is going to be really bad. It's like, well, let's not even worry about that. And then of course, like Be More Chill was like very challenging once we opened on Broadway for a, a million reasons. Um, and then we had this other show and so it was just so, so intense, so much. But I, you know, it, it, I, I ended up like doing these sort of weekly, weekly gigs essentially at Be More Chill because we were just trying to, we were trying to, you know, drum up any excitement that we could when, you know, the theater, the theater, uh, I won't say community, but like, you know, the, the things that, 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 that assholes pay attention to, like New York Times reviews and mm -hmm. Tony Award nominations and all that garbage, like, we didn't get any of that. We were mm -hmm. like the, the, the joke show. And so, you know, it felt like, I cared so deeply about this thing and, and these people who, who were, you know, performing this thing. And we had so many people who like loved the show. So, so deeply, it's like, I felt like I, I owed it to everyone to do whatever I could to, you know, to keep it, to keep it going and to keep like, you know, morale up and excitement up and, and, you know, and, and, and I did, and we did. And, and even like when I did that, the, the closing announcement, we were afraid that we weren't going to make it until August. Cause like that was in June, I think. 
and the the producers were just like we don't know if we have like enough money to actually make it to our closing date and so part of that also was just trying to be like let's like have people come see the show this mm -hmm. summer let's do it and, and like and we did you know and then weirdly the closing performance of be more chill uh, where we got to do the goodbye song which is like a song that i've done in my concerts you know since i started doing concerts um the getting to do that on like the this broadway stage surrounded by all these people who have been with me for so long with so many people in the audience who have been with me for so long it felt really it felt really nice and so as sad as sad as it was it also felt like there was like a relief off it was strange it really it felt like the it felt like the the happiest funeral that i've ever been to <laughs> the closing of be more chill you know it was like it was sad but there was something like uplifting about it yeah i love that i mean I love that people were, you know, we don't like cell phones in theaters. We don't like people recording, but I'm <laughs> thankful for those, you know, those moments like that, that we're able to see at home. We can't be there in the room when that happens, but it's like, it pulls us a little bit into the magic of that moment, you know, watching it on the screen. So, um, yeah, yeah. I felt, like, I felt part of it, you know? That makes me so that makes me so 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 happy and the you know the and that's something i'm also really proud of that i felt like we did everything we possibly could for a show that you know is not like produced by a corporation that's pumping money into it we did everything we could to like try to include the human beings who could not physically be there in in the space you know and try to like to actually dial into the way people receive media these days and not be like afraid of it and not be like, oh, we don't know how to like monetize a, a live stream. So we're not gonna worry about it. Like we did all that shit. And like for all those, you know, performances, um, at, at, you know, there would always be like, John Tepper would always be like, remember to tell people that they can film. They can, you know, remember to tell people <laughs> they can film. Cause it's like, you're, you know, you're so used to not being able to. Right. It was so fun to be like, like you don't have to hide it now. Get the cameras out. Like the kind of cameras that you've been covertly filming with the whole night. Now you can just take them out and film. Go crazy. Stand on a chair. We're not gonna I'm scream so, at I'm you. So, <laughs> yeah, no, really. I'm like super. I'm super pro bootleg in a way that I feel is going is gonna come like crashing down on me soon. And it's something about the quarantine that I I I guess I've never like talked about it a lot, but I I find myself talking about the the importance of of bootlegs uh, so much and in interviews that I've been doing during this quarantine but yeah I'm just like I yeah full full supporter if you yeah. do, I just don't like anyone who distracts me during a performance like I don't any I feel like you if you're gonna bootleg a show you just have to be good about it like figure out a good system so no one knows you're doing it but it's like I don't want to know that anyone's doing it because I don't want to be distracted you know I don't want to see a cell phone I don't see any fucking texting I don't want to see any like little red right. light but if right. I don't see that I'm like yeah. Film, film, right. Film. You know, I have kind of a. Also, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Also, it's illegal, though. No, I was gonna say. Also, right, right, right. I'm aware that it's illegal. So, like, don't. I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. look. I don't I'm, have the authority to give you permission. <laughs> I think even, I think even those folks who are um, completely against bootlegs have stumbled upon a slime tutorial and clicked on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. fairly certain everybody has yeah. done it at some point. Um, and of there are course. some, there are some great awesome. ones. There are some really awful ones. My, yeah. my sort of thing about it is like, I'll watch, I'll watch them. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to see it when I'm on stage. I'll watch a bootleg, but I'll only watch it after I've seen the show live. 
No, please. I like, I mean, I started, you know, hand in hand with my love of theater when I was a kid was like the, you know, the, the internet, the internet was like becoming a thing. And so I like traded bootlegs like a motherfucker, but like, you know, I, I traded like actual tapes, like VHSs. Yeah. In the, in the Yahoo groups. (laughs) Yeah. The AOL Playbill. I have the, I have the OBC, I have the OBC rent uh, VHS. AOL Playbill, that's it. Yeah, the AOL, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Or what was that, um, what was the one, Napster? Napster! (laughs) Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah when, when, Ste- when Stephanie and I, like Stephanie and I, went to university together in California, and you know, hmm. when in the '80s, so when we were growing up, and when we first kind of developed our love for theater, was in, were introduced to it. We just had cast recordings on vinyl. That's or cassette. That's it. That's what we had. Yeah. You know, so I do from time to time get into. Um, like Twitter arguments from time to time with, with kids. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have students and stuff that are like, bootlegs are, I can't get to New York city and I can't. And I'm like, one of those people is like, I walked uphill both ways <laughs> to school in the snow. No, you know, when I was a kid, I had the cast recording and I had to wait till the tour came to LA. It. I had to wait two yeah. years for the tour to come to LA and I didn't get to see everything. <laughs> Yeah, and you use your imagination to fill in the blanks, you know, yeah. between songs. You know, that's, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got that all wrong. <laughs> I, I know, that is such a fun, that is such a fun thing. Learning learning a show just from the, you know, the cast recording and, and oh, the stuff you God. can find. Yeah. 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 The and then first... you go and you see the show, you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much more sense now. You right. Know, like, there's so many shows that, have, that are like that. I think for, uh, um, I think I went to see it. I, I had the cast recording or something of Into the Woods first before I saw it. And there were a couple of songs. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> but then I went to see it and I was like, oh, okay. That totally makes sense. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I remember going to see going to see Les Mis, nineteen eighty seven, when the the tour, first national tour. Well, it was a sit down at the Schubert Theater in uh, in L A. And you know, I had the du- the double album, and my best friend and I bought like the twenty dollar tickets, and we were in the last row, and the lights went down, and boom, boom, and we started just like sobbing I realized watching that show I didn't know what the hell that thing was about before I sat down and watched it I really didn't know what that show was about from that cast record I did not understand even a little bit all I want I just wanted to sing I dreamed a dream all the time you know but I had no idea and it's it's one of the shows I've seen that show I I don't even know how many times I've seen like Broadway I've seen LA I've seen tours i've seen high school i've seen you know church groups <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah it was like so so i do get sometimes when some of the younger folks pull out the well we have to have bootlegs it's the only way we can see the show and that's when i'm like okay 
yeah. But I but I but I watch my fair share of a of a good slime tutorial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same. Um, it's the it's the entitlement thing that I think gets you know that's, that's it's it. like well you don't like it's not your like right to like see every yes. musical and any production that you that you want but you know yeah that's it that's it it's it. the entitlement for sure um just very briefly because i mean i remember i remember tweeting a lot about it and retweeting a lot about it the tonys be more chill um uh, and that that number that um Still, I'm still angry. <laughs> if I'm this angry, I can't imagine how you must feel. So, um, I mean, I know that there was like a, oh, thanks for a great musical after the fact kind of thing. Did you know that they were going to do something like that before? No. You saw the Tonys no, or no. Were at the, you were at the no. Tonys? Or? No. I mean, no. I, I at, at the Tony, the whole the whole experience, like uh, it's so you know, I mean, it's so it's so hard. It's so hard. I, I don't, I'm not like a contest guy, you know, and I, I like the idea of art just like being art and not having, you know, things pitted against each other. Having said that, I grew up watching the Tony Awards. I grew up obsessed with theater awards and, you know, like looking at the ads and, and the times or Newsday and like deducing what the categories were for like the, you know, outer critic circle, like featured actress in the musical nominations based on what like shows are put in their ads. Uh, because like, I didn't get, you know, variety when I was a kid and like there was no internet to check it out. <laughs> and so I, and so I do, you know, there, there is worth to it to me. And then, you know, with Be More Chill, we were, we were so hoping that we would be able to, to, you know, represent our show on the Tony Awards uh, because we, we just desperately needed it for mm -hmm. our show, you know, and it was it was something that that we hoped, you know, might be the kind of like last ditch effort to save the show just because of like, you know, box office numbers. And so it was so much about the, the future of the show was riding on the Tony nominations. So then the Tony nominations happened and I was the only one who was nominated from our show which was like, to, to me, I'm like such a like community guy. And like, I'm so much about like, oh, we're all in this together and it's the family and we're like making it together. I like, I literally said to my wife the night before, I was like, the only thing I don't want is I do not want to be the only one from the yeah. show nominated. I was like so terrified about that. And then it happened and I could not fucking believe it. The whole like Tony season thing. And it's, it's hard to like, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Like it's very nice. And I, and it's, you know, it's I, any honor is totally appreciated. And it's, I know it's not my right to be nominated for a Tony Award or have my show nominated for a Tony Award. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful and all of that. Uh, however, the actual experience of like making my way through the like the, the events and like the luncheons and all that shit, it was just so weird because it was just me. And like, you don't get a plus one to that stuff. Like you just got to go. And so, I mean, I literally, you know, we were the only show that had one nomination. And so literally anyone else who was there with the show was there like with their buddies. You know, and it was like, I, I, I've never felt so much like high school or middle school as an adult, as like being, <laughs> being at a table and like being like, oh, Adam Driver, hi. I feel like I have nothing to say because like, you don't know who the fuck I am. You don't know why I'm here. And I have no one to be like, oh, cool, Adam Driver's. It was just so, oh, it was so weird. And so, 
And so the, the one thing that we tried to do, though, was we tried desperately to get a slot on that show for George Salazar to perform Michael in the Bathroom. We thought that, because, uh, you know, they always have some shows that, that aren't nominated for Best Musical Perform, mm -hmm. and they were going to do that. And so we were like, we just desperately want Michael in the Bathroom to be on the show with George singing it. It felt like it would not only be good for the show, but be a really nice thing for the young people <laughs> around the world who really care deeply about the show to see uh, George and George specifically uh, sing this, this song uh, on the show. And, and, you know, and not to like toot my own horn, but like, I think it's like pretty fucking good. And I think that George singing that song is like pretty fucking magical. And I think it would have been a really lovely thing to have in the history of the Tony Awards as like a YouTube clip that people could watch forever and ever. Uh, however, the, they said that, that they said that we couldn't do that, which is they said no, which is totally fine. Uh, and then that was kind of the end of it. And so I went to the Tony Awards, and literally no one told me that this was happening. Not one, not one person. And so I was, I was sitting there with my wife, and it started, and it was the most. It was truly like one of the weirdest, one of the weirdest experiences of of my life. And so surreal to be sitting there like in the theater as that was as that was happening and like going through all the like the emotions of like, oh, my God, that's my song. And like there's like famous people singing it. Cool. And then like, I why didn't they let us just do the song? And then like are, they're going to say the name of the show. Right. 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 And then it, it, and then like it didn't happen. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like. This is like the the this is the nightmare version of having something like this happen on the show. And so it was just so it was so crazy. It was just a bummer all around. And I uh you know, and then of course everyone apologized and did that whole thing and they right. did that because there was like an uproar. Right. You know. Um and it, it doesn't matter. And it's and like really you know, it is what it is. And the people it had nothing to do with the people who like literally performed it or, you know, the dude who the dude who wrote the parody and I thought the parody was really funny. I thought the lyrics were great. Uh, I, I met up with him. It has nothing to do with him. Like, it's not not their decision. You know, it's right. not their responsibility to know. Um, but it was just it was just a bummer. And I do believe that had George Salazar be allowed been allowed to sing Michael in the Bathroom on the Tonys, um, that it would have had an effect on our show. I think it would have been something. Um, but the magic of you know the the magic of the internet is that in twenty years, like people can go through the Tony nominees and go through the performances and look at clips of, you know, Be More Chill and George doing that song and then, like, you know, decide for themselves if it was a good decision to exclude <laughs> that. <laughs> it was 100% not a good decision <laughs> to exclude that. I have a, a weekly radio show on musical theater radio, which is an internet uh, sh an internet station started, like, a year ago based in Toronto. And... Um, I play, I've had my show, I think, three months, and I've played Michael in the Bathroom at least three times. And I, I moved my 85-year-old mom in with me at the start of the pandemic because I was just concerned about her being in the residence that she was in. And so mm -hmm. every week, like, she's she's lost most of her vision, and so she listens to audiobooks and stuff. And she listens to my show every week, and then every week I go in there and I say, Mom, uh, do you have any requests for this week? And consistently she asks for that. So, and she hasn't seen, she can't see to see his performance, which his performance was totally, like, one of the most fabulous performances I've ever seen. Um, 
I, I love watching clips of him doing that song, but she is so in love with that song that it's like almost almost a weekly request from my 85 year old mom who doesn't know the context of the show doesn't has never seen george doesn't know anything but she loves that fucking song so i just had to tell you that <laughs> that that makes me that makes me so happy you know it's like something that's so weird about that is that like be more be more chill like i think the thing that kind of like you know hurt it when it finally got to new york is that it it was kind of everyone talked about it like oh it's this show for kids you know it's this this show for you know written for young people like as if that's a terrible thing to begin with but that was you know the way it was the way it was framed and like it's just not true like as the person who wrote it like i i wrote it in the same way that i write every single one of my shows like i'm 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 writing something i want to see i'm writing for for you know for for me essentially and i'm hoping that people of all ages will respond to it and the only reason that be more chill got an album was because uh, this guy bob recknitz who ran the board at two river theater uh he uh he fell in love with the show and when we closed he was like this this deserves to be preserved and this deserves to have a record of it and he paid for the whole album which is a a, a a monstrous amount like there's no way to do a cast album for like through the union for under 100 grand like that's just what it is no matter what your show is and this guy paid for it and he was i think i think he was 80 when he when he heard Beamer chill and it's like it, you know i think that it's my my hope is always that the stuff is like is universal and even if they're like speaking the language of of, of teenager that what's the actual content and what's actually being talked about is something that feels feels universal and so i love hearing when when people over the age of 70 <laughs> michael in the bathroom <laughs> or any of Beamer chill i think one of the things that she did mention was that um that she said you know it brings it brought her back to like being in school it brought her back to being feeling awkward at a party or at school or whatever because pretty much everybody's had that experience once in their life i i would imagine except for you know the most popular people in school maybe but you know they also kind <laughs> yeah. of they also could on, put on that you know they're putting on a, a show in itself as well and putting on an act and they have insecurities as well and I, so that's that's what i love so much about that song is that so many people i know everybody's like i can pinpoint the one party that you know this happened at you know so yeah i, I just yeah. yeah it's great yeah, my mom's a fan. <laughs> um, Thanks, <mom>. Excuse me. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Um, Broadway bounty hunter, Annie Golden. Yeah. Annie yeah. Golden. So this Broadway bounty hunter was another collaboration with Jen Tepper, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, correct. And um, so I know you touched on on the show earlier. Um, releasing a cast recording after the show has closed like that um does is this a show that you know are are you licensing the show that particular show now for um community theaters or i guess it's not a school show really but um is that something that you're doing or is this just kind of on the on the back burner for now is there anything happening with that mm. show I, um, yeah, I, I want to, I desperately want to license it. Um, I, the, you know, the, the annoying truth is that, uh, the, you know, the people who license musicals don't really want to because everyone is, everyone is really 
uh, everyone is really concerned that like the lead character of that that musical, the, her name is Annie Golden. Because uh, you, know, you can see the musical is that it's this actress of a certain age uh, who's like down on her luck. She's having a terrible time in her career. And uh, through a series of events, she gets wrapped up in the world of bounty hunting. And it's an action adventure musical that finds this actress of a certain age on uh, a mission to South America capture a, a drug lord named Mac Roundtree. Um, but the, the whole idea is that the, the show is like a celebration of, it's a celebration of, of marginalized people, you know, and it's a celebration of people who have, uh, have been made to feel small and have been made to uh, be put in a, you know, put in a, 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 a box in a certain way and in, in life. But, you know, specifically we're talking about, you know, actors and we're talking about theater people and it felt like in a show that where we're trying to, we were trying to like, you know, build up and, and celebrate the sort of like, you know, weird obese that is the, the musical theater performer. We should have that main character bear the name of the actress of a certain age who is playing it. So the idea and the dream for that show is that no matter where they do Broadway Bounty Hunter, the name of that character will be the name of the actress playing it. And it's just kind of like, it's like a trick that we have in the show where you feel like there's more specific things about Annie Golden than there actually are. You know, there's like some references to her career, but they're really, really minimal. And in the script, we have like swap outs for all of them. And I think it's only like, I think there's only like three or four literal, you know, connections to the specific career of Annie Golden. And, you know, our amazing standby when we did the run uh, here in, in New York City was the great Anne L. Nathan. Um, whose name just happens to be Anne, which is like a funny coincidence. It's not like you have to be named Anne or Annie to play this <laughs> role. Um, but when she did the part and she did it once a week, like the name of the character was Anne L. Nathan. You know, like that's and and that's the that's the 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 dream. So we're hoping that uh, that it will eventually get licensed and that theaters, you know, all over the world can do it and and have an actor, you know, be be playing a sort of stylized version of themselves in the middle of this crazy musical comedy. I love it. I want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I want you to. So fun. So you got to hook it up. We yeah. could totally, I'll, I'll do a, we'll do a, um, do a workshop in Montreal. Yeah. A zoom workshop. What could um, be better? Thinking outside of the box here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to see the show. I've only heard the cast recording, but it's like what we talked about earlier about only hearing the cast recording and imagining what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, I love it. It's so much fun. Smash and hit list. Smash and hit list. We've had some smash people on. We had Josh Safran on early when we first, uh, and then we have Mark Shaman on and so <laughs> the stories you know because there there's there's not um a lot of love there between those two people. <laughs> so that was interesting but Stephanie and I are, are are I mean like our college experience was us sitting in the halls of our theater department singing songs from fame because that was the show that was on when mm -hmm. we were you know when we were in school but Smash is something that we talk about. Yeah, I think had we been in college when Smash yeah. was, that would be it. That I mean, it. the Broadway community represented, <laughs> even in a soap opera way, on network television. Like, what what could be better than that? Nothing. Yeah. So I my my Smash journey 
Um, I mean, my smash, my smash, you know, experience is a hundred percent because of Josh Saffron. Like Josh, Josh was someone who, um, who I had did not know at all, did not know him at all, and uh, I was doing a concert at the Beachman Theater uh, inside the West Bank Cafe on Forty Second Street, and I was it was after the show, I was loading drums into my friend's car. And Josh came up to me and uh, he was like, hey, uh, my name is Josh Saffron and, and I'm taking over Smash for, uh, for this next season and I'm a big fan of yours. And I was here with a bunch of people from NBC tonight and I wanted to know if you wanted to maybe talk to me about uh, writing some songs for the show. And it truly was the most like, what? Are you serious? And so I, I met with him and then found out that he used Broadway Here I Come, which was a pre-existing song. Um, he used it in the the spec script that he wrote, uh, which got him the job. Like it's mm-hmm. the Broadway Here I Come, you know, it hap- it's like the, you know, the Back to the Future thing where it's like, you know, you got to hear this or whatever the, whatever they, she says when she holds out the phone, um, when Jeremy Jordan is playing it. But it was, that was how it was used in the initial script. And so, uh, and so we had this meeting and then initially I, we were talking about me being the sole writer of Hit List. Uh, and it was sort of like you know Shaman and, and Whitman and and I know those guys uh, I know those guys well they were they were unbelievable and like super supportive and like really really pushed for me hard uh, and it was just the kind of thing where like at the time I you know no one no one knew who I was and I had no like fancy credit to my name and I think the NBC people were just like absolutely not. <laughs> like there's no this guy is not going to be like the sole writer of this thing on this major this major show and so then it became like oh we're gonna like farm out uh, all of the songs to you know this this stable of writers and then they're gonna pick the the favorite one um and I don't I, I'm so bad in situations like that like I'm not a good spec songwriter I'm just it's it's not it's not good I have to be like in the thing and 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 collaborating and like making shit with the group of people. Like, I'm just not good in that situation. However, um, Broadway Here I Come, uh, it, 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 the my initial my initial task was to write a song that was like Broadway Here I Come, but not as like sad because the NBC people were like, oh, this this song is like a little. It's like too mournful. It's a little like you know drag ass, and so maybe there can be one that's like not it's kind of like that but like not that and so i wrote this song that i hate so fucking much called find my voice that i mean other people other people around me are very kind they 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 say they like it but it's just it so sounds like like me trying to write like me but like in a slightly more commercial way it's just so i don't it's not my thing <laughs> but uh so we wrote it and then they were kind of like oh it's okay it's okay and then like dragging their heels dragging their heels and then it got down to the wire and there was just no other song. And so they just had to use Broadway Here I Come. And which I think was like Josh's hope the whole time. You know, I think he always wanted that song. He, he fought so hard for that song. And uh, yeah, and then that song was on the show like 10 million times, which was so exciting. <laughs> Everybody's singing it. <laughs> Everyone sang it. It was like that song, it truly, and that was, the, that was the first time that I ever made money from writing. And it truly, it was the most hilarious thing where it was like, like they're gonna use it again, sure. <laughs> Keep going. Please, please, please. Um, and I, but you know, also I was so proud because I ended up having Broadway Here I Come and the Goodbye Song, both, you know, pre-existing songs. Those were my songs on the show. None of the songs that I wrote as like spec songs made it and they shouldn't have. They were, they, they were not, not good. But the, those two songs 
because they were pre-existing songs, I was such a bitch about not changing the words. And, and you know, in like TV stuff, there's just 10 million people who have to give their opinions and are, are very, are very um, sort of scary, you know, uh, but and, and scary and opinionated. And I was just like, I, I, I so, you know, stuck to my my guns about so many things in a way that I think it was probably such a pain in the ass. And I'm sure like, it, I'm sure it hurt me in ways that I, I won't fully understand until I'm older, but I was just like, I'm not, I'm not changing any words in these songs unless someone can give me a good reason why. And the reason why was always just like, cause people wanted, people wanted their opinion. Like it was about, it was about making it, making it different, just not better. And I, I was like, if, if millions of people are going to hear these songs that I care so much about, um, I, I want them to like hear the actual song and not have like a character's name just shoved in for no reason. I want it to be the song. And, and if that means that, you know, then the song can't be on the show, that's what it means. And so, and so I'm so proud that, you know, the way Brought It Here I Come and Goodbye Song ended up on, on that show. And even all the different versions, um, it's I'm, I could stand by them. You know, it wasn't like oh, it's like you know, a, songs with different lyrics. Like it's like no, those are my, those are the songs. Those are the songs that we, you know, we did in the basement of of the the West Bank Cafe, and the songs that we continue to do. Those are the ones that ended up on this 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 crazy ass TV show. You know, and also what was so cool is that Krista Rodriguez is, you know, she's a friend of mine who I've been performing with her for years and years and years. And she was like the first, she was the first person who, besides me, to ever sing Broadway Here I Come. And Josh Safran oh, like really? saw, yeah, she, and he like saw the videos of her singing Broadway Here I Come. Um, that was his first exposure to her. And so when, yeah, it was so wild. So then when she, like when, when we both found out that we were, because we, neither of us like knew that the other one was like, doing this thing it was so wild when it was just like what you're about you're on smash it was crazy the whole thing was crazy it was it was thrilling and we're we're such big fans of it i i love i i'm well i mean i'm gushing over you a lot sorry i can't help i like it, it. i can't like i like it, it feels um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> what i do love about your writing and i noelle and i kind of touched on this before you joined us is that well especially in be more chill there's uh this like beautiful uniqueness of i don't know god bless the freaks kind of feel to a lot of of your <laughs> oh he's nodding a lot of your <laughs> your writing and it and it and it rings so like it resonates so much for me and i know noel for sure um, both of us were talking about that and how how amazing that feels to be seen. You know what I mean? Like to be seen, well, in a song, but to be seen. Um, and so when you, you get all these great songs, especially in um, Be More Chill, like you know, Michael Bathroom, and then um, <laughs> two-player game, two-player game. Yeah. yeah. Um, those are the types of things like... Uh, <laughs> Like, I could see myself and my best friend in high school literally singing the song and being like, yes, when we get the hell out of here, you're going to be so freaking cool. I mean, that was something that I literally said to somebody when, <laughs> like, my senior year. L legitimately, I was like, so fucking out of here. I cannot wait to get away from here. But I have to go. And I knew, yeah. like, you know, and it's, I mean, I went to college. No, I was not super cool, but at least 
I was with my own band of freaks who mm -hmm. really got me. So for me, it was like, this is home. Once I hit the theater department at Cal State Northridge, the <laughs> Matadors, I was home. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, of course. So it, I, just, I just wanted to say how wonderful it is to find um, a composer who really, who really gets the, the uniqueness of people. Um, their quirks, their, their, um, the things that make them so authentic that they don't need to hide anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and that they can share with somebody else. That's what I love about your, your songs and your music is that you really get that. Well, thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. I appreciate it. And it's, I mean, and you know, and that's like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I, I, I love, you know, whatever you said, like, uh, um, you know, yes, yes to the freaks or whatever, or God bless the freaks. Um, it's God like, bless that's, the freaks. yeah, yeah. You know, like that's the, that's, that's the sort of art that I, that I, I want to make. And I feel like my heart has, has always uh, been there. You know, I feel like I've always wanted to, to, to represent the people who normally don't get to, you know, stand in the, in the spotlight in theater or in life, you know, and I, I, I love the idea of using musical theater to, to, to give some, you know, to give space for these people and give some weight to like what they're going through, you know, and, and more and, and more in my writing, as I've been lucky enough to, to interact with, with human beings who are, who are, you know, turned on by the stuff that I'm doing. And, and because I was lucky enough to meet so many young people specifically who really dug me more chill, I got to understand the, in a way that was so, so deep and in a way that truly is life-changing for me, how important it is for people to see themselves represented in theater, you know, and, and represented well. And so, you know, something that I think Be More Chill does, um, and, and it wasn't totally intentional when I first started writing it, but then it became that, is it, it, not, only, it not only represents these people who, who might feel other, it, uh, it celebrates them. And it, and, it, and it says that, yeah, you can have this, this stuff going on in your life and you can feel bad and you can have people make you feel less than but you can still have a fulfilling life you can still you can still you know celebrate and dance with your friends and 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 the new york productions of be more chill it became like yeah we want this thing to feel like a dance party like we want this to feel like colorful and in your face and like insane and fucking neon and sparkle filled because it's like these young people they, I feel like they, they're so, they're always confronted like anytime in, in any media, but especially in theater and especially in musical theater, like anytime they're confronted with, with these issues, with these things that they're going through, they're, it's like the, the, the character always has to die or they have to, there has to be, it's like, it feels like these people have to be punished. You know, it's always, it's like the stuff that feels like it's used to like mine for drama. And it became like, no, like, let's like, Let's let's try to let's try to acknowledge that all of this stuff happens in, in real life and it's rough, but you can make it through and you're allowed to have a good time and you're allowed to, you know, have a have a dance party. So, um, yeah. So thank you for thank you for uh, for 
for saying that. And also, you know, I, I like more and more I'm writing these musicals where like the lead characters are, are people whose life experiences could not be farther from, from my own as like a cis white man. Um, and the, you know, something I've always believed with all the stuff I've done is that, that no matter how different people seem that we're, we all share so many things and we all go through so many of the same experiences and the, the environment might be different and the vocabulary might be different, but there are just so many things that, that people feel that I think are, 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 are really universal. And, and I've always sort of had that sneaking suspicion that like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you don't look like George Salazar and maybe you're not, you know, 16, but you, that you could probably relate to what it feels like to lock yourself in a bathroom at a party because you're, you're, you're feeling anxiety. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's just something that the more and more I see people, you know, relate to, to this stuff, the more and more I see people connect to, to what I'm trying to do, the more it just fuels me to like, want to, want to do it more. And the harder it is to do things that, that, that aren't that, you know, the harder it is for me to be like, okay, well, what would happen if I, if I, you know, wrote the musical version of this movie that's very popular, that feels like it's just like a musical full of, um, you know, like robot people and not robot in a good way. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like a greeting card right. musical. Um, and it's like, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to waste my time or anyone's time um, doing that kind of stuff. I'd rather, you know, figure out another way to, to reach people with my art. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Is there anything that you have coming up that you would like to share with us? I don't know. I mean, I have a few, you know, I got a few musicals that, that are in various stages of development. I don't have anything like necessarily planned. Honestly, you know, um, COVID and everything is really, has really, uh, really thrown a monkey wrench into the works. And so it's uh, just kind of put a pause button on so many things. And it's, I have a lot of hope. It's just like, I don't know when these things are going to happen. But right. the things that I'm really excited about right now are I, I have this musical that I wrote about Hunter S. Thompson, um, who uh, is, a, is a journalist and sort of a counterculture hero. Uh, and I'm, I've been developing that for La Jolla Playhouse for a very, very long time. And I'm really, really excited about getting that thing on a stage very soon. Uh, so hopefully that will happen. The, uh, the name of the show is the untitled, I'm sorry, the unauthorized untitled Hunter S. Thompson musical, um, which is going to look <laughs> great on a marquee. <laughs> as, can, as I'm sure you can tell, no one has tried to get me to change that title. Yet. I'm just so upset that it's going to be so badass. You know, it's like this like huge, and then people just call it Hunter. But it's like, I don't want to call a show Hunter. And I already have a show called Broadway Bounty Hunter. Um, but I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't authorize on title Hunter S. Thompson musical. So there's that. And then Love and Hate Nation, which is this musical that premiered at Two River Theater a year ago now, um, uh, desperately trying to get that thing uh, to have a cast recording. And I, I want another life for that show so, 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 so badly. I think it's a show that really explicitly speaks to the time that we're in. And, uh, and you know, I think that I don't, I, I like it. I don't know if it's if it's bad or if it's good, but I do think that the the musical theater scene needs more uh, romances between two girls and Juvie Hall for girls in 1962. So I'm hoping that oh. that show can fulfill that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm writing, I'm trying to stay inspired, which is a challenge. And, and this is the first year in, in 12 years, 13 years that, uh, 
that we're not doing the our Christmas extravaganza. You know, I, oh, I do yeah. a Christmas show every year, and and so that's like a strange thing. But um, you know, really, it's just it's the the current state of the world. It, it feels like a pause to me, not a not a stop. And so it just mm -hmm. feels like a you know, let's catch our breaths and then figure it out when the time is right. Yeah, a pause. That's true. An indefinite pause. <laughs> long. Yeah. A it's a long ass. Pause. I was in I was in New York when uh, when Broadway shut down. I so it's your I, fault. I went with a friend. It's my fault. I went with a, I went with a friend for a forty eight hour four show kind of thing, and um, the first show we were seeing was Jagged Little Pill. And as we were driving in, Derek Klena, who I know who was in the show texted me like halfway on our 5 a.m. drive to New York City to let me know mm -hmm. that he was calling out because he was sick which turned out to be COVID. Yeah, um, yeah. So we did see the show without him which you know I'm I'm happy I saw the show sad I didn't get to see him. Yeah. Yeah oh my gosh. No, it was no, insane. So... It, it was it's like so New York City went from being like buzzing with people to like a ghost town in a span of like two hours i saw i saw jagged little pill right at the end there that was the last that was the last broadway show i saw and yeah. i saw uh, betty buckley at the carlisle that was like that was right before it was over and it was like and it was like the first night where like the audience was like half full and it felt like uh-oh this is a real thing isn't it yeah i was such a i was i was like the i i, I you know looking back on it when it first started i was so in the camp of like this isn't anything nothing's yeah. gonna happen how good new york's not wearing masks yeah. are you crazy they told I, us I, not I, to right they told us not to <laughs> it's not just so it's so embarrassing i feel like i need to go back and like delete my text from like the start of this i just sound i sound like the most like conservative like like you know yokel or something just like yeah this isn't a real disease that was terrible yeah terrible. yeah i mean we were yeah. like my friend and i we, we had planned the trip for like a month or whatever and we just kept checking the numbers in new york city and it was like so small it was like yeah. 37 cases so we're like oh we'll, we'll go 37 yeah. in all of, of new course, york yeah. we, we brought like we brought <laughs> we brought like packages of wipes, Lysol wipes, and we brought, you know, hand sanitizer and we got to the theater and we wiped down, you know, and we, so we were very cautious. We rode on the subway, we put on gloves and then we removed mm -hmm. them, you know, just yeah. in case, you know, just in case. Sure. But we still never, like, I never imagined that first of all, Broadway would shut down when I was in New York and then none of my friends would come. Like Lance was like, sorry, I'm just going to my apartment. I'm not meeting you guys for dinner. You know, like nobody wanted to even come see yeah. us because nobody wanted to see anybody. And yeah. um, just how strange it that, that that experience, like I go down maybe three times a year and it was such a, like, it's just, you know, when people say, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you on 9-11? Where were you when Broadway shut down? I was at the Hirschfeld Theater wanting to see my, <laughs> wanting to see my future husband, Aaron Tveit. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put that out there, girl. <laughs> put, that, put that out there, yeah. Universe to your magic. Just do it, yeah. It you could take on a... a you could take on a Tevate, Tevate on the side. Tevate on the side, yeah. 
<laughs> love it. My my wife my wife Lauren Marcus did she did company at Barrington Stage with Aaron oh, yeah. a, a couple years ago. And she was uh she was Amy, you know, sings you know, not getting married today. Oh and, she's amazing. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she's yeah, amazing. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's she's killer. Uh but the that whole like that whole summer, it like the number one thing that anyone said to me was like Lauren's doing that show with Aaron today, huh? Are you worried? Like that just be like became like the thing, the thing I to know. say. It truly, yeah, no, it felt like the most like 1950s. Like I was like, I'm truly like I'm on Mad Men right now, and yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that was the show we were going to see. We, I mean, we, I wanted to see all my other fr my friends' other shows, but the mm -hmm. show that we were going to see was Moulin Rouge because I wanted to see it before the one year the contracts were up and then, you know, he yeah, might leave yeah. or Karen might leave or Danny might leave. I wanted to see like as, yeah. as much as I can, I like to see the OBC. And um, so it was like, it sounds so melodramatic to say how devastating it was, but it was like this performer mm -hmm. that I, I like, I love him so much as a performer and that it was like, finally he's back on broadway after catch me if you can which i'm sorry i loved that show i don't care what anybody else says yeah no no same same I, and I he carried that show and he should have been nominated for tony for i mean if we're going to talk about awards for next to normal and <laughs> for catch me if you can um but um like the disappointment that i still like i talk about it way too much eight months later because it i just it pisses me right the fuck off <laughs> i get I was, it like, in I, the lobby i support that, that. <laughs> yeah own it own it we're theater people we you know it's our, it's our right to be it is our right to be devastated about things like not being able to see aaron Tveit sing uh <laughs> bad romance God, romance, it, yes. should, it should ruin our lives Roxanne. Roxanne. <laughs> yeah. our guest today has been joe iconis thank you so much joe for taking the time to chat with us about your career thank you very much for for spending this time with us today yeah of course thanks for having me this has been uh super fun awesome. do it again yes we will <laughs> i'm noelle hannibal i'm stephanie anderson and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.